The fact of the matter is there are many voices talking at us. There are many with their agenda. Those who are even subtly trying to brainwash us. Everybody is after your mind. Did you know that? They're after your heart as well. But then we have this voice right here, this book, the voice of truth. Those other voices don't live up to their promises. If you haven't learned that yet, you will. Hopefully not the hard way. Truth is being bent in these last days. And so again, the question is, who are you listening to? Be sure your advice comes from God. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, if you would. We've been studying this book chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and trust that it's been helpful. I, I've, I've been helped. I truly have. The book of Ecclesiastes is such a balanced book. I, I know we've seen it go back and forth, kind of like a pendulum, and it's not too optimistic. It's not too pessimistic. It's not too uh, fatalistic. It's really balanced. And I think uh, as, as we study it, we enjoy that fact about it. And we're going to look at uh, several verses again today in Ecclesiastes 9, beginning in verse 10 and reading down to the end of the chapter. It says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. For man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time, when it falleth suddenly upon them. This wisdom have I seen also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. There was a little city and few men within it, and there came a great king against it and besieged it, and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, And he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. Now, there's a lot of stuff, if you will, covered in this passage, but there's one thing that that stood out at me, and it was basically this, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, to help us to listen to you, help us to listen to your word. Father, we just pray that you would teach us. Father, guide us now in this truth, these truths, and Lord, I just pray now that we would realize there are many that are vying for our hearts, our minds, our souls even. And Lord, I just pray now that we'd be careful in who we listen to. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, this last week I was thinking of a song that um, would take me back to when I was 9 or 10 years of age. But it was uh, sung by a a fellow by the name of Harry Nielsen. And the song was entitled, Everybody's Talking at Me. Some of you would remember that song. Everybody's talking at me. I thought about that. 
And, and how he felt as he relayed how all these voices were coming at him to where he couldn't really even hear what they were saying and how he wanted to just <laughs> escape. The fact of the matter is there are many voices talking at us. There are many with their agenda. There's a lot of propaganda, if you want to call it that. Those who are even subtly trying to brainwash us. We have to be careful who we, we're listening to. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14.10, it says, there are, it may be so many kinds of voices in the world. All these voices coming at us. All these people talking at us. Everybody is after your mind. Did you know that? And uh, you've got all these talking heads. They'll go on for hours and hours. There's endless drivel on radio and television. And, and whether you're on the, the left or you're on the right or you're in the middle or you're a moderate, you're extremist, whatever it might be, everybody's trying to get you over to their position. They're, they're after your mind. They're after your heart as well. And that's why movies have an agenda to them. If, if you go, there's a subtle message, normally in a, 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 a movie, an undertone, whether it's the, the big screen, the silver screen, or the, the flat screen, Hollywood has an agenda. And Hollywood's talking at you. Of course, religiously, there are many voices that have gone out into this world. There's a lot of doctrine out there, isn't there? A lot of false doctrine out there. A lot of doctrine that is tripping people up. And sending them out into a Christless eternity because the devil's been very busy. He doesn't sleep. And he's got his crowd talking at you. So everybody's talking at us. There's a battle for the heart going on. And the only question is, where is your heart and where is my heart? We're hearing all these voices. What's it doing to our minds? What's it doing to our hearts? Because in Proverbs 23, 7, the Bible says, For as he, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the way we think is the way we're groomed, basically, by the world, if we're listening to them, that is. And as we think in our heart, that's what we really are. In fact, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4.23, to keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We're told to guard our hearts. That's what that word keep means. Guard your heart, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it is the stuff that, that life is made of, the issues of life. So, who are we listening to? Solomon addresses that here in Ecclesiastes. He's talked about a number of things. But he gives us here in these 8, 9, 10 verses or so, uh, some ideas about who we ought to listen to. Now, last time, by way of review, we took a look at verse number 10. And it tells us, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. It makes a statement here. What we do, let's really put our hearts to it. Because there's none of that stuff in the grave where we're all going. Now, that's not great news, but it's true. We're all heading to the same place. We're all going to the grave. And so we have this one shot at life, this one turn at the plate, if you will, this one opportunity. Don't ever wish your life away. Don't ever lament the, the fact you've been born into this world. I mean, the devil will sit on our shoulders and, and get us to feel that way, but, but wherever you are, and I said this last time, be all there. Because you're only going to live once. We're only going to pass through this way once. And really, it's a whole lot more fun to live this life if we lose ourselves anyway, forget about self, die to self, and, and live for others. Give it everything we've got. Well, that brings us to verse 11. And what I call the, the reversed race. It's, it's opposite of what we think it should be. Notice Solomon says in verse 11, I returned and saw under the sun, so we're back under the sun again, that the race is not to the swift, nor to the battle, to the strong, 
neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. Now, here we are back under the sun, and we know what that means. Solomon's looking at it through, I guess, human eyes. And, and above the sun, that's God's dwelling. That's God's realm. That's where Christian people ought to, ought to be thinking and, and setting our affection, as the Bible says. But now we're back under the sun, where the world lives. And he said, I noticed this, under the sun. He, he says that the race is not to the swift. The race is not to the swift. I'll never forget when my daughter Bethy was, oh, barely old enough to talk. And we were playing some little board game where you race your little piece around the board to win. I forget what it was. We had a lot of, a lot of aggravating games back in those days. I'll never forget Candyland and some of those. Uh, games I thought would never end, you know. But whatever this game was, you know, I was winning. I was way out in front. And, and then I don't know if we were rolling dice or what it was, but, but somehow I just stalled out and, and, and she went by me. And she won, and as she won, she made this statement. It came out of her little mouth, and I'll never forget it. She said, she said, slow and steady wins the race. And I thought, where did you get that? It was pretty good. Slow and steady wins the race. You know, the Christian race is not a sprint. It's not some Hussein Bolt thing from Jamaica, just, you know, in 10 seconds, and then it's over. The Christian race is a marathon. And, and Hebrews 12 tells us to run with patience the race set before us. It's not a sprint. If you've got to run it with patience, it takes a long time. And it's a marathon, really. And we have to pace ourselves. I hope to have a kick at the end, you know, my second wind, if you will. But, but I've learned that over the years, not to burn out. And, and more recently, to pace myself. I think it, it took me till about my mid-40s, and I'm still kind of working on it. But, but not to, to burn out. Because the race is not to the swift, the Bible tells us. Now also, in order not to burn out, we need to not operate in the flesh. In other words, be sure that we are in the Spirit and that God is doing it. God tells us it's, it's not by our might nor by our power, but by His Spirit, right? So if, if we're going to do a spiritual endeavor, we've got to do it in the Spirit. Otherwise, we're going we're to burn out. Now, don't operate in the flesh. But the world tells us the race is to the swift. And it's up to you. And, and you've got to do it. But the Bible is contrary to that. In Romans 9.16, it says, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that, noteth runneth, but of God. But of God that showeth mercy. It's up to him in the Christian economy. Now notice again verse 11. Solomon says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor... Notice this, the battle to the strong. The battle doesn't always necessarily go to the strong. There are illustrations in the Bible of this, David being one. And in 1 Samuel 17, 47, he's talking to Goliath and he says, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Notice what Solomon, his son, said, the battle is, is uh, nor the battle to the strong. And David says, the battle is the Lord's. And to the Christian, may I say, in the 21st century, the battle is the Lord's. Now, there are a number of examples in the Bible of God overcoming huge odds. In fact, I think of Asa, who would be a, a descendant of David's. Many years later, he faces this huge Ethiopian uh, million-man army. And in 2 Chronicles 14.11, Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, 
whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on Thee, and in Thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, Thou art our God. Let not man prevail against Thee. That is such a great prayer, isn't it? And he reminds us there, the king reminds us there that it's not up to us, it's not about us, it is about our God. You know, the world says the, the race is to the swift and, and the battle is to the strong. You've got to get up early. You've got to stay competitive. You've got to put in a long hours. You've got to keep your eyes on the competition. It's all about staying power and getting stronger and increasing your pace and planning better and thinking clever and making, making your job your priority. And forget that sentimental stuff about, about your family. That can come later and uh, the staff can, can, uh, can uh, wait. But, but you've just got to get all done now. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Not, not in God's economy. By the way, the world says religion, leave that for when you get older. And that's something for the elderly. Don't mess with that stuff now. The, the race is to the swift, so you better get running. And we're so easily seduced, aren't we? All of us. It's easy to be seduced. Well, in verse 11, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but notice this, time and chance happeneth to them all. In other words, it's up to God. There's a God on the throne. There's a sovereign God on the throne. There is a God on the throne who has a plan. And in Ephesians 1.11, it says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him, who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Hear it, sir. Him that worketh all things after his own will. Here at student, him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Here at businessman, him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The world tries to convince you, you've got to burn that midnight oil, uh, you've got to go, 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 and, and whatever it might be, forget it. Get off the squirrel cage. That's, that's what the devil has planned for us. You know, somehow we, we get so stressed and, and we think if we can just go forward, we'll get done more, more done, but we go backwards in the process. We go backwards. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm playing a violin with mittens on. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like you're, uh, you're in the Daytona 500, but you're pushing a wheelbarrow full of wet concrete? And you, ugh, it's, like, it's all flying by you, and you're, you're striving, and you're struggling, and you're trying to go as fast as you can, and it's kind of like trying to run in water up to your chest. It's just, what is holding me back? What is resisting me here? Well, we need to learn something here, and God's given us something to think about here. Some think if they, if they connive and shake the right hands and, and, and butter the right bread and, and come in the back door and uh, they, they, uh, or they're in the right place at the right time and they drop the right names that everything's going to fall in place. That's not what verse 11 is saying. Because in God's economy, that's not how it works. It mentions time and chance even in verse number 11. Now it goes on in verse 12 and it says, For man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. Notice, first of all, in verse 12, it says, For man knoweth not his time. And uh, I don't think anybody could argue that. We don't know our time. We just know we're here now. This is our time. And what we do, we better do now. This is our moment. But in, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 42, Jesus said to the people of his day, and especially Jerusalem, If thou hadst known even thou, at least in this thy day, 
the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. They didn't get it. Man knoweth not his time. Man doesn't figure it out. They didn't then. People today don't. They don't really know what it's all about. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 31:15. He said to God, My times are in thy hand. We need to, as God's people in this century, say the same thing. My times are in thy hand. Now in verse 12, Solomon says, For man also knoweth not his time. Notice, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net. Now this speaks to me because I just came back from Canada recently and caught a ton of fish and uh, saw those fish in that net. Of course, they were the fish I kept catching. I fed the boat. But uh, anyway, Solomon mentions that as the fishes that are taken in an evil net. God has a way of bringing us back to reality here. He's talking about something here. He's talking about stopping the squirrel cage and, and, and stuff that society wouldn't tell us and, and just realizing, look, it's not worth it. Who's talking to you? Who are you listening to? Society says neglect the spiritual. Society says buy into our system. Society says live for the here and now. And in verse 12, Solomon refers to it as an evil snare. He says, for man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the bird that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. The Bible makes reference to this. Jesus in Luke 21 made reference to this in verse 35. He says, For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now, we know we live in a society outside of these four walls that is snared in the here and now, doesn't see the big picture, doesn't know where they've come from or why they're here or where they're going when they die. They don't get it. They don't know that they don't know. But we as God's people have no excuse for not recognizing the times We have no excuse for getting snared in the world and the junk and the voices that are talking at us. We don't have to. God takes that whole race and He reverses it here in this passage. So we see, first of all, the reversed race. But secondly, we see what I call real resourcefulness. Very resourceful. Notice in verses 13 and 14, This wisdom have I seen under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. There was a little city, and few men within it, and there came a great king against it and besieged it, and built great bulwarks against it. Now, in those days, the best fortification for a city was men, was soldiers, was an army. But here's a city, and it doesn't have that. It it mentions few men. So I want you to picture some walled city. And by the way, we don't get this in our Western minds and in our culture, especially in the 21st century. But back in those days, the cities were walled. If you've ever been over to England, you can, you can visit, even yet today, uh, walled cities. I remember one, Claverock in, in Scotland there. It was a city within a, a wall. And, and, and boy, they had all that stuff up there that catapulted out and all the spears and the little cutouts in the concrete, and, or not concrete, but the, the limestone, whatever it was. And uh, it was a walled city. So picture a, a walled city back in, in the Middle East in the first century and in and, and a cozy little, little hamlet there. People are putting in their gardens and, and uh, growing their trees and picking their fruit and everything's just fine until a, a mighty army comes up against that city. And it, it surrounds it, doesn't let anyone in, doesn't let anyone out. And, and so whatever food they have in there, that's it. 
And of course, the objective in those days was to, to starve out the people of, of that city. So here's some big king, and he's got this city under his iron boot, and he's, he's holding them out there. In fact, we find a lot of this happens in the Bible. I think in 2 Kings, there's, there's four lepers outside of, of the city walls there in, in, in Samaria. And uh, there's this, this army, massive Assyrian, Assyrian army there that has, has surrounded the city. And of course, the lepers aren't wanted in the city. They're in no danger with that army. Nobody wants them there. And you know the story of what happened there. There's stories like this. And, and it mentions here in verses of 14 and, and 15, there was a little city and few men within it. And there came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. So he, he's building this ramp into it. Notice, now there was found in it a poor wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Notice. And, and in fact, I think of a, a woman found in Second Samuel. There was a guy named uh, uh, Sheba, I think his name was, and he rose up against David. And David sent his mighty men after this man, Sheba, that's always a bad sign. That's when you know you're going to have a bad day, when David's mighty men come after you, okay? You're going to get it in the fifth rib, or somebody's going to fall on you, okay, to use Bible language. But they go after Sheba, and they find him in this, this walled city, in this tower, and uh, they're, they're battering the doors and building this ramp, and, and this wise woman calls over the edge and, and, and calls to Joab and says, what's wrong? Who, who are you after? And they said... Uh, this guy, Sheba, and, and they, they, and she said, well, you know, I, we're peaceable in here and we don't want war and, and uh, just hang on. We'll throw his head over the wall. Oh, this, this passage just speaks to my heart. I, I always get a little sentimental when I read it. But anyway, his head goes flying over the wall and, and they retreat and they, they call it good. That happened a lot in Bible times. And, and so Solomon's mentioning such a scenario and there's a city and it's surrounded. And there's one guy in there. Now, a few weeks ago, I made reference to, to the guy who fed the lamb. And, and when the city was about ready to starve to death, they sent that lamb out and it, it was full. And the, and the enemy cut it open and said, oh, I got a ton of food left in there and just went away. And, and maybe that happened historically at some time. And maybe Solomon's thinking about that because he makes reference to the same scenario. But, but here's the sad part at the end of verse 15. It said, yet no man remembered that same poor man. That's human nature, isn't it? Aren't we quick to forget? Remember when Joseph interpreted the butler's dream and, and said, now, when you get out of here, don't forget me. He forgot him. And, and this poor man here, he, he saved the city and they forgot him. Many are ill-paid for, for, for good deeds because human nature sometimes is so thoughtless that they just don't repay. In the book of Esther, I, I think of a king by the name of Ahasuerus who had a couple of, of servants who were plotting to kill him, except for one humble doorkeeper by the name of Mordecai who narked on him and, and turned him in and there was an investigation and it was found out to be true and, and the king's life was spared, but he didn't do anything for Mordecai, did he? Years later, it came to his attention. He went, oh, I can't believe it. Is there anyone in your life and in my life that has been a blessing to us, and, and we've kind of forgotten them, you know, to our shame. You know, there are so many people that have helped me. There have been so many times, and, and, and even in our home, I, I look around, and, and I mention it to my wife, I'll never forget when so-and-so was chipping the plaster off the chimney or pulling the insulation out of the basement ceiling or cleaning the junk out of the, the, the woods. Or, you know, I'll never forget that. I, I don't want to forget that. And we ought to be careful not to forget things done for us. Here's a poor man. He delivered the city. They forgot him. They forgot him. Well, we see this real resourcefulness, and he used some real wisdom to do it, and that's really the context of it all. 
We see the reverse race, the real resourcefulness, and finally we see a resulting revelation. Uh, Solomon brings it all home in verse 16. Notice, Then said I, here's the resulting revelation, Then said I, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Notice, wisdom is better than strength. Wisdom's a gift from God, by the way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Therefore, God is our strength. And that's what, really, you can get from verse 16. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. It comes from God. It's divine strength. In Romans 8 and verse 31, Paul said, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Our strength is in God. Our wisdom comes from God. That's what Solomon is saying here. So Solomon, he, he's observing the, the power of the power of wisdom. How powerful are right words? How powerful are, are wise decisions? How powerful is discernment and spiritual perception? It's a powerful, powerful thing. Wisdom's powerful. Wisdom is king, if you want to put it that way. Proverbs 24.5 says, A wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. A wise man is strong. And a man of knowledge? Well, They'll increase strength by increasing wisdom. Young people, may I say to you, get all the wisdom you can from those who are, are older than you. Let them mentor you. Let them teach you. Don't ever reject that wisdom. It's experience talking. You ought to listen all you can, inquire all you can, ask all the questions you can, because you can really learn some things from your parents if you listen. Or those who are older than you. Some think they, they have it all figured out. And they fail to tap into some wisdom available to them that really would help them not to make some bad decisions down the road. I often say this to young people between the ages of, oh, roughly 15 to, to early 20s. That's the mistake zone. You know what I mean by that? When it comes to life, that's the mistake zone. If you're in that age group, you are now not in the twilight zone. You are in the mistake zone. You are entering into the, the time of life, the stage of life, when you can really mess up. And I mean make some mistakes that will scar you for life if you're not careful. You're in the mistake zone. You know, I, I was not saved for most of the mistake zone, but I am thankful that I had a wise dad that I listened to and a wise mother that I listened to because honestly, you're so vulnerable at that age. And uh, the, the devil, especially with Christian young people, would, would really like to make mincemeat out of them because they're so susceptible at that time. Don't ever think you have it all figured out. Save yourself a ton of problems. I mean, just mark it out. You don't have it figured out. You do not have that experience. You have not been around the block. And it, it, is, it is foolish not to tap into wisdom that somebody older than you has. And, and they've learned a lesson. Now learn it from them. You know why people feel they have it all figured out? It's real simple. Pride. Pride. Pride makes us think we have it all figured out. Or maybe people underestimate the mess they're going to make if they go forward doing what they shouldn't do. They lack foresight. They just don't see, oh boy, this is going to really come home to roost. Or it might be a matter of them knowing that there's going to be some consequences, maybe, but, but wanting their vice and wanting their sin in spite of that because, well, they just got to have that sin. What a mistake you can make. Now notice again in, in verse 16, 
Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. It is. You know, we see a huge emphasis in our society about uh, uh, working out, getting ripped, and being buff, and whatever else they might call it. Boy, that's where it's at. You know, strength, physical strength. You know, the Bible says here in verse 16, wisdom is better than strength. You know, our society touts strength. Strength gets the vote. Strength is where it's at. It's, it's what impresses people. But the Bible tells us wisdom is stronger than strength. And uh, the world would tell you that the road to success is, 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 is might, is power, things along those lines. No, it's, it's wisdom. Notice in verse 16, Then said I, now this is the wisest man who ever lived talking, Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, he said, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Huh. You know, wise counsel is not popular, but especially not popular if it comes from, oh, a nobody. You know, somebody you can condescend toward. It's, it's, it's seldom obeyed, it's seldom remembered, but it's especially blown off with somebody who's a nobody, if you will. Solomon's talking about that. There was a time when, when um, Paul, the apostle, was on his way to Rome. He was on a, on a ship. He was crossing the Med. There were a bunch of soldiers on board. There were a bunch of sailors on board. They ran into uh, uh, this little place, and they, they, were, they were putting stuff on board and getting ready to take off. And, and Paul said, you know, I perceive that this, this journey is going to be with much hurt. I mean, the stuff on the ship, maybe even our lives. I don't think we ought to go. I, 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 God is dealing with me and speaking to me and, and telling me this is a bad idea. Now, can you imagine the decision the centurion had to make and the captain had to make and, and all this, the, the grizzled veteran sailors on board had to make? Listen to this little cross-eyed, anemic Baptist preacher or, or go on and, and, and get to some town that, you know, is a party haven and we can have some fun. Bible tells us in Acts 27.11, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Now, who's right? Well, ultimately, they lost the ship and everything in it. Paul was right. He, he, he had it pegged. Of course, he had God's help. But they blew him off because, eh, this little whatever he was to them, poor little man here, he didn't have any wisdom to offer. That's what Solomon's talking about in verse 16. The poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. You know, I don't think that's more true anywhere than with the Lord Jesus Christ, a poor man, of course, in his day. Mark 6, 2 says, And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses and of Judah and Simon, or Simon and, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now here was God in the flesh imparting wisdom upon them. And they were offended. Why? He was a carpenter. That's all they could see. He was just a little humble nobody there from from Nazareth. We know his family. And in their pride, they didn't accept what he had to say. What a pity. You know, in John chapter 9, we find a blind man healed. And he's he's lecturing the, the Pharisees. I love this story. And the Pharisees are offended. Who's this little peon lecturing us? And they made this statement. They, they said, have any of the Pharisees believed on him? Like, oh, okay, you, you win the argument. Hoo-hoo, the Pharisees haven't believed on him. That just says it all right there. 
Because the Pharisees were so condescending to everybody else because they were poor and they couldn't, certainly couldn't have any wisdom. There's a famous British scientist, if I mention his name, you would, you would uh, recognize it, most of you, but he's an agnostic. He was an atheist, now he says he's just an agnostic. He's getting closer to dying, maybe rethinking this thing. But he, he, he doesn't have any time for God. And there are those who are like, ooh, you know, walla walla, if he says it, you know, we've got to kick God out of the picture here. Well, let me just say this. Big deal if he or anybody else says it. The Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And it doesn't matter if some little nobody comes along and, and, and says this is truth and the, and the, the big brain comes along and, and he's a skeptic. Bottom line is another skeptic who's an unbeliever with a high, high IQ who's clueless spiritually is a dime a dozen. They're, they're all over the place out there. They're in the dark as well. I'll never forget what, what Dr. Richard M. Hayes said to me years ago when he was here back in the early days. Um, you know, I was telling him how, how inadequate I felt to, to counsel, you know, looking at somebody with his experience and, 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 and uh, wisdom and, and uh, training. And, and I said, Brother Hayes, I, I just, you know, I get around you and I just I feel like a two-year-old. And he said, Brother, he said, don't ever sell yourself short. He said, I'd rather counsel with the newest convert in your church than the, 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 the biggest name psychologist in the, in the nation. I've never forgotten that. He said, I'd rather get my counsel from somebody who's saved, has the mind of Christ, than somebody who's got one of, of 250 plus schools of, of thinking when it comes to psy- psychology. And, and, and Solomon mentions that the world doesn't think that way, but God does. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, it says, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Notice that no flesh should glory or brag or boast or get puffed up in his presence. But yet a prophet is, is without honor normally. And uh, sadly, Solomon's talking about that. The question is, what did God say? Or what does the Scripture say? Now notice in verse 17, as we wrap it up, it says, The words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Notice the words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the guy who screams. Back to you young people here. You have parents who probably don't tout it. They don't make a lot of noise. But, but hundreds of times in a given uh, month, Young people, you hear something very wise from your parents, and you'd be wise to pick up on it. Plain and simple. Wisdom normally is quiet. And, and, and sadly, it's normally, it's normally drowned out by the noisy drivel of the world, all those, those voices talking at us, to where we really don't hear real wisdom. And uh, those other voices are very dangerous, especially to those who are vulnerable. You know, there's a lot of voices. If you're in business, there's a lot of gurus, a lot of workshops, a lot of seminars that say this is the way to do it. That Bible stuff doesn't work anymore. Uh, There are some shortcuts. You can rationalize the way to big money. You know, the world shouts loudly. It it, it shouts convincingly. You think it's right. And you can can sell your soul to the psychologist. You can be uh, seduced by the counselor. You know, maybe a, a person is struggling with moral purity, for example. And the world comes along and, 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 and says, uh, why fight it? Why fight it? I mean, the world shouts oh, absolute abstinence. You've got to be kidding me. Come on. And you hear that from our society now, and it's so convincing. It's, it's everybody talking at us, telling us, don't wait, just go for it now. Maybe it's a marriage in crisis. And the world comes along and, and, and shouts, why bother, King? And on, throw in the towel. You're not compatible. Just, just walk away. Look, look, uh, you don't have to stay in this thing. 
Now, we all have this natural propensity already, because we're depraved, to give up. And so when you start listening to that stuff, you're listening to the wrong voice. And, and Hollywood shouts it from the, the silver screen and the flat screen once again, and the media brainwashes us, and, and society just, just blows away any staying power when it comes to marriage. But don't you listen to him. Don't you listen to him. Verse 18, he finishes by saying, Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroyeth much good. And again, we're back to the power of wisdom. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. It's powerful. But notice he also mentions the fool and his folly at the last part of the verse. But one sinner destroyeth much good. One sinner. There's a word that's not popular. There's a word you won't hear in the average pulpit. Sinner. We don't like that word. Sinner. It's a Bible word. And, and Solomon is simply saying, sinners mess things up. And, and it can just be one sinner. You know, when Jericho was conquered and they went on to Ai, they were on a roll and they would have, they would have steamrolled that city, but, but, but for one sinner. Remember that? The Bible says Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Why? One sinner. One sinner. I think of King Saul. I mean, he really took, he took Israel in the wrong direction. He did all kinds of dumb stuff. In fact, there was a time he proclaimed this foolish fast. He said, no, let nobody eat anything till me, I'm avenged to my enemies. Like it was all about him. What an insecure fellow he was. And uh, he made a mess, didn't he? One sinner. What a drama. I almost said queen, but king he was. Such a drama king. One sinner. You know, Paul had antagonistic people during his ministry. We have them yet today. He mentioned some of them in the Bible. In 2 Timothy 4.14, he said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. One sinner. Maybe today you have a tormentor. You have an Alexander the coppersmith. You have somebody who is resisting you. Somebody who's high maintenance. Somebody who's a thorn in the flesh. Whatever you want to call them. It's hard to believe that one sinner can wreak such havoc. But, but uh, if you're in the ministry any length of time, you see it over and over again. Worse is those who follow them. It, it compounds it. Now, as we look at these truths, it, it tells me the Bible is so relevant. We're in this rat race, and, and, and Solomon's been describing it, and I, I hate to tell you, but this was 1,000 B.C., and, and here in the 21st century, it's not getting any better. And it's not going to get any better. There are a lot of authorities out there. And, and you have a society that is, 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 is shouting to you to just bail on responsibility. Uh, whatever the release is, just, just escape. Find your happiness. Find your freedom. You've got all these voices. All these voices. But then we have this voice right here. This book. The voice of truth. Those other voices don't live up to their promises. If you haven't learned that yet, you will. Hopefully not the hard way. Truth is being bent in these last days. And so again, the question is, who are you listening to? Be sure your advice comes from God. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 
888-528-5103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.